Welcome to the NWA Dirt Report, where we will bring you the breaking news for everything biking in Northwest Arkansas. Keep up to date on this amazing mountain biking mecca with trail conditions, new systems, and what you need to check out from the townies that call this place home. And most of all, maximize your time on the bike in the land of Oz. Get out and adventure. The NWA Dirt Report is brought to you by Shift Outdoors. Shift from your day-to-day life into an adventure of a lifetime. Plan your next adventure with Shift Outdoors today. And now, your host, Taylor Young. Good morning, folks. I'm stoked on this episode. It's going to be way longer than any episode we've ever put out, but that's because we have the Nat Ross on with us doing a post-ride beer report. During times like this, uh, we're not able to sit on the back of a tailgate and go on a ride together and drink a beer together, but luckily in today's day and age, we have technology that allows us to see each other's face and record our conversation and and still allows us to have a post-ride beer report just like anyone else can do and I strongly recommend this go out and ride by yourself have all your crew go out and do so and schedule a time afterwards to get on a zoom call or a facetime call Uh, You can do it with a bunch of different people, not just one. Crack a beer and enjoy, just like you would on the back of a tailgate. So just like we're adapting uh, to these current measures that we have to follow, so can you. And the more we do so now and, and stay separated and do our part social distancing, the quicker we can get back to life as we know it, and beers on a tailgate. So I hope everyone enjoys this post-ride beer report. Uh, With this new format, it's an extended cut for the first premiere. Uh, Everyone following, uh, we'll see if they're this long, sort of just taking, taking it and running, seeing how they go. But I hope everybody enjoys. Nat is a wicked cool dude. Uh, the amount of people he knows and the history that he has is second to none. If you ever get the chance and, and find him sitting at a local brew pub or or out riding his bike, say hi. Dude's super down to earth, willing to chit-chat with anybody, and just a super genuine, nice human being. I've been lucky enough to get to know him here over the last year or so in the Bentonville area, and I'm stoked to share just a little bit of his story with you, from his upbringing in Colorado to racing overseas to sort of being a pioneer of the sport and allowing us to have bikes that we do now, Uh, and just scratch the surface on on his history we also talk about what we're doing to social distance ourselves and and how we're still getting out 
to enjoy this beautiful spring uh, and different ways to do so. So I hope everybody enjoys. Uh, it will be after the dirt report this morning. So you get both. We'll see how this goes. I can't wait to give you guys more of this. It's super fun from my perspective to record these just with friends and like-minded individuals in the bike community and, and what we're doing to do our part right now. So without further ado, here's the NWA Dirt Report and Post-Ride Beer Report with Nat Ross. As far as riding goes for this week, it has shaped up to be just superb. Uh, overcast uh, with sun peeking out the last couple days, uh, nice and cool in the morning and warming up a lot in the afternoon. It's definitely that time of year where you're starting to get your sweat on and today is going to be right up that alley. I think the highs in the 80s today. So if you can get out earlier uh, before it gets too hot, if once it does, uh, remember to bring your hydration with you. It's key to stay hydrated out there on the trails. Uh, the last thing you want right now is to ruin a ride or the rest of your week with some form of heat exhaustion. So listen to your body and take care of it. Hydrate before, during, and after. Uh, there's a million different recovery drinks at this point and tons and tons of different hydration mixes that you could bring on your ride with you. Uh, whatever you like, keep doing, but don't forget it. Uh, it's not that time of year where you can forget your water bottle. As far as riding goes, everything's gonna be running pristine right now. We haven't had rain since this weekend and it looks like we're not gonna have rain until this coming weekend. That's me knocking on some wood. Uh, you never know if a freak storm is going to roll through or not, but if a quick shower rolls by, it shouldn't affect the trails too much. I would say if you can, get out and ride Kohler. Go ride different sections of Kohler. Don't just hang out on Cease. If you want to do a lap, go do so. Or maybe go ride some Copperhead or Rock Solid and Rock Soft. Uh, spread out. And if you're gonna go ride Kohler, try not to hang out at the hub. Try to try to get up there and, and drop in as soon as you can. But go get some miles out of Kohler. Uh, go out to, to Eureka if you can. If, if maybe you can take your your Zoom calls and and just call in. Uh, and maybe that can be from the car or or trail side, you know? Maybe you find a bench out in the back 40 and you're sitting there eating lunch on your conference call. They don't need to know where you are. It's good to go exercise during times like this. Uh, gets the blood flow, keeps the creativity going. And just, just blood flow in general is great for the brain and, and continuing to be productive I would say what we can do today for social distancing is a little different and it's not trail related and it might be more uh, equated to a rainy day, but I think it's a great idea. 
And the reason I think so is because a lot of it's being offered for free right now. And that's yoga classes. Uh, Amber would be very happy with me with telling you this. And, and I am a firm believer in it. It has helped me drastically on the bike. Uh, with not being as stiff. With being a little more fluid. With finding your breath. All of which can can help you in all aspects of riding. Uh, it helps you protect from injury. It helps you last longer. Your endurance becomes better. Uh, you're really looking after your muscles. And the way that these classes are being offered for free right now is online. So you don't have to, if, if you feel embarrassed to go to a class or you've never done it before and you think you're going to be judged because you only can touch your knees, it's not the case. No one's going to see you. You can do this on a carpet floor in your bedroom or on a rug or if you have a yoga mat spread it out in the living room floor uh, look up all the yoga uh, studios in the area see what they're offering i know like cocoon yoga lab is doing online live facebook videos that you could you could buy into um, Blake Street supporting their members with with video format classes, uh, and that's just here. Uh, everything else online is seeming to be well, you can find a free content. Amber is offering yoga classes through Facebook Live as well, and they're all donation based. And they're great for beginners and cyclists to just get a good stretch in. Uh, you can find those at Mind Soul Living on her Facebook page. Uh, I'm biased. I think they're great classes. I got to test them out all at home. I get to be the test dummy for these classes. And honestly, it's the best. I get uh, free yoga instruction. <laughs> And it has honestly helped me dramatically. So check her out. Support local businesses, even if it means you're buying one of these classes from the, the local studios. That's how they're paying rent right now. Uh, every little bit counts. And it will help you out on the bike. So if we do get a rainy day and you can't go out and you're going stir crazy, it's a great way to slow yourself down, relax the body, and stretch it out. Other than that, enjoy the rest of this week. You really can't choose a wrong place to go ride your bike. Do it remotely. Do it by yourself. Choose anywhere and everywhere, and you'll have a blast. As always, have a good one. Be safe, and look forward to your next adventure. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Post Ride Beer Report with Nat Ross. Looky there. Taylor. Oh, this is sick. Dude, I got your beer for you. Cheers, fella. Cheers. It took me a few minutes to join. Thanks for uh, being patient. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. So That's your world. Good. You just reach like this and you can grab another beer. Yeah, the cooler's sitting here right next to me. There's another one right here. Awesome. Of course, I set up in the garage for a reason.
Yep, that's what it's all about, right? That's that's right. You know, at times like this, this is my hideaway. The bike stands right here. I get to just twiddle. The bike's cleaner than it ever has been. Not this very second, but get the wheel all fixed, and then my uh, rear triangle, the bearings all went went bad on it. So got that fixed yesterday. Luckily, Dennis hooked me up. Oh, good. Yeah, got got it all rocking and rolling. I was like, I need to. I don't even care what the weather is. It's such, it's a perk here though, man. Like we can go ride, you can ride in the rain. Doesn't matter, does it? No, what'd you do today? Um, I got my shit together, which was good. Yesterday I was having a rough one. <laughs> During times like this, bud, what do you expect? Yep, crazy. There's days, there's days that beat me, man. There's days that beat me more often than, well, in regular life too. Like, yeah, that's not, that's not beside the point, but even even for some individuals like like um, my daily routine hasn't changed drastically right i wake up i go to work i build trail out in the woods come home and working on some stuff on the computer it but it, life and just the freak out mode that the world's in right now like it it wears on you man it makes it makes it harder on a daily basis it's fragile and then guys like you and I were just tortured because we can't do, can't hang out with our bros, can't do stuff. Life's supposed to be shared with people. Oh yeah, experiences, right? I think the more we, the more we do that right now, like even for someone like myself, how hard it is to do that. You have to do it now so that this doesn't last as long as it possibly could. No doubt. And so we don't have to be doing this through the FaceTime. We can be doing this on the back of a freaking tailgate. Yeah. Take off sweaty helmets. Exactly, exactly. But you got your helmet sweaty today, didn't you? Um, it was great. It was awesome. It was what good. What you ride? Um, so I left a little bit later. I was uh, trying to leave here around like eleven or eleven thirty, <clears throat> and just rode by myself. Hooked up with a little sugar course and did a little exploring, some probing around back there, and then. How's it running? How were the creek crossings? Bitching. Every once in a while, I like to go out by myself and have some alone time on the bike. It was like, good for me. I it's good it. for everybody. I think everyone who enjoys being on a bike, it's great every once in a while. Like, yeah, I, I'm not going to push my limits when I'm riding by myself, right? I'm not going to try a new trick. I'm not going to try a, a jump I've never tried before, right? But I'm going to go push my limits mentally. Uh, challenge myself a little bit more. You don't have the the pick-me-up from the group of buddies that you normally ride with. You just have your own mental stimulant to keep you going. You and your headspace. Yeah, how many miles you do? I didn't really uh, – I just did the course, which is like 50-some, and then I did a couple little offshoots. Any dog interactions? One, and I was, I, I was filming with the GoPro, and I yeah. just turned it off. Um, but it actually wasn't a bad dog interaction. Like two of them were scary. One of them was the dogs just want to run. I feel like that's most of the time. They're not used to seeing other people. No, and that's what I was going to film, but I just turned it off. Didn't know there were going to be dogs there. And it would have been great because there were like two big fluffy dogs. Well, what, what else have you been doing? I mean, in times like this, like how are you staying sane? Like what are you doing on a daily basis to still get out and ride but distance yourself? You want to just, are you starting to film right now? Yeah, I mean, I've had it recorded the whole time. Yeah, perfect, perfect. It's real stuff, Nat. We're, we're sitting here just like anybody else could do. 
yeah. sit there, go on a ride by yourself, call a buddy, and drink a beer. You can still, like in today's society, you could still, you could still do all this stuff. It's just a conversation, man. That's yeah. all it is. It's not with recovery beers. With recovery beers, just sitting here, same as you would, same as you would out in the woods. Yeah. Now today was a good day. The overcast was kind of nice, kind of foggy, kind of misty, and good temperature. Because before we know it, it's going to be hot and smuggy. We got out. Uh, I went out and rode. I think about 15 miles in the back 40. The ledges pushed your Pirelli tires to the limits, but they didn't pop at all. Which way did you do the ledges? Um, nor south to north. If you start at Blowing Springs and go out along the loop, yeah. you hop on there when you cross the road. And it drops you down to buy like the electrical electrical plant. Yeah, you started climbing there. Yeah, that trail. I love that trail, man. That's got some good moves right off the start for you to get your game on. Especially on a day like today, after all the rain, everything's slick. The rocks were sliding like no other, and you just have to like the new tread pattern that you guys have. Drop my pressure just a hair. Oh, good. In the front, and just the little bit more aggressive tire helps a lot. Give you a little more confidence, but what was your PSI? Did you drop it below 30? Yeah, below 30. Like, I, I normally run. I'm a high PSI guy. I've always have been. Um, but I think I was running, I don't know, let's say 22 up front and 26 oh, nice. in the back. Out there, you, you know you have to be prepared for one little jagged rock to puncture you. With the Especially with that 2.6 up front, it's got that little bit more – more bite to it when you do that good yeah the Pirelli's coming out with some good stuff if if only they uh are ever allowed out of their house in Italy man so the it's the old folks right now in that whole Lombardy region and everybody like everybody's parents and it's uh there's a lot of lack of um family time going on there so scary yeah from an insight, like from, from your perspective, working internationally, right? Biking as a whole, this, this industry is not just an American industry. Yeah. Right? The majority of stuff, the majority of stuff is produced or built overseas and it, it takes the world to produce what we like to do, right? Yeah, the manufacturing. So it affects everybody, even like little um, businesses that have their own niche that do great, that don't technically need a lot of things. So like uh, Push Industries, those guys, a lot of the products that they order um, need to come in from overseas and they're hurry up and wait game. Which is so hard because as a consumer, we're out using it more than ever. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, people, say, people say biking's the safe, a safe thing to do, right? Like golf. Same and, times, this is the sport that people are doing and you get more and more folks just wanting to get out there because they see it and this is their time to go do it. Yeah, especially around here. Yeah. Like even having conversations with, with bike shops around here, I think they're busier than they ever have been, especially with local traffic. Yeah. What's, you know, the essential businesses like bike shops kind of do their thing, repair. So guys like Psychology, Dennis and his crew can go around and just mobily take care of all the fleets of bikes out there and get people like you up and running. Yeah, out and riding your bikes because honestly, it's the slice of sanity that I have left. Every little bit. I saw you, you took T.O. out the other day too. Whatever it takes to get outside right now, right? And like, I think a lot of people are taking that note and finding the easiest access, especially new, which is awesome. Like, I think that's unbelievable. 
but for those that know the trail systems, like I went and walked Tio down, here's Johnny. Mm -hmm. I didn't see a soul. Yesterday it was raining. Trail was slick. Trail was definitely a little slick, but I didn't see anybody. And we have so many miles of trail, just spread out people. Oh yeah. Get off, get off the go-tos and just go explore. And it's really cool to go walk a trail you enjoy riding. Yeah. You get to analyze it a little differently. And you also get to see everything that's around you, right? Like when you're riding bikes, you get in such this like tunnel vision. That's ah, good this time of year because the leaves are still not quite all popped and they're not large. So you can see through different trail lines, different systems, corners, all that stuff. Good time to scout. Exactly. And you're just, you're just enjoying the time. Like if you, if you've ever like the mushroom scene right now, like talk about a perfect time if you're a mushroom hunter to go out and searching for mushrooms. I was wondering if like uh, the morels right now are going off. Popping right now. Yeah. Popping. Fiddleheads are right toward the end of their season. Fiddleheads are really tasty. You saute them up in some butter and some salt and pepper and just something different. If, if you're looking for something new to do, you just, whatever it takes to get you out in the woods, just not with people, you know, like yeah, you get to build this connection. Like I've been lucky. I, I've, I've had this sense of calling to the woods my entire life. And I enjoy from the hunting aspect, sitting up in a tree stand and watching nature go by without it knowing you were there. And to get a little bit of that, it's almost even fun to just go find a, a rock or a spot in the woods and just sit down for about 15 minutes. Squirrels start coming back and let the let the birds start chirping around you and just checking out what's what's around you and watching nature go by because it doesn't know anything about this virus. It's acting just as if it would. And right now is a prime time to do it. You're seeing young little beings come into the world. The springtime inhabits that. And it's not just gray and brown and nasty winter colors. It's green and pink and purple. The flowers are starting to pop. So they're looking, they're looking good. And then uh, it's calf in season right now. So the calves are all kind of born and starting to get a little balance and hanging out with mama. Did you see that on the gravel ride? Did you see? Yeah, I was, look, I was looking forward to see like when that when they were starting to be born. And a lot of them were born the past like three weeks, four weeks already. That's awesome. Yeah. Earlier than I thought, like I'm just used to the mountain times. And yeah, it's, it's way different. Huh? Yeah, a little, little different temperature here. Spring starts earlier. Way earlier. Yeah. All right, I got a question. I got one question for you. It's how I start all of these. Yeah. What was, what was your first mountain bike? First ever mountain bike was a Ross Mount Hood. Ordered it through uh, Winter Park Competition Center. They, how old uh, were you? Um, thirteen. How do you pay for that bike? Um, it was eight hundred bucks, so it's super expensive, and I paid for it with a. Uh, mowing lawns and painting and it took me like at least a good summer's worth of savings to be able to have that what made you want to what made you want to get a mountain bike uh they were new like they that was the first time we'd really seen them there was a dealer in uh, denver that had some schwinn sidewinders and they were five speeds and they were beach cruisers but they could be ridden on the mountain and then uh Ross was making Mount Hoods at the time and Mount Whitney's and they had 15 speeds. So one and one, but I couldn't fit on it. Like I sat, I racked myself every single time on that top tube and bullhorn bars, like the, the triple bullhorn up front. Yeah. Yeah. Moto brakes. I mean, you've seen bikes change drastically. 
Good things. Good things. That's for sure. Efficiencies, right? These, these bike companies are just like, look what's behind me. They, like, can you imagine one of these bikes getting put in front, like at a showroom, right? Take, take it even 15 years ago. You put, you put a new linkage and new suspension bike out to these people. What would they, like, what do you think the reaction would have been? You think they would have said no way? Space age. It would have been like, what, what do we need that for? Like overkill. It is though. Like it, but it's so efficient. Like the goal of getting it down to a one fleet, which is, it seems like what they're going to like a one bike do all. Yeah. I don't think, that, I don't think it'll ever be there, but man, they're making them efficient nowadays quivers a little bit but you see a lot of folks like unloading the bigger bikes and uh unless they're doing gravity or specific you can kind of find a platform and do find your sweet spot anyways you, like here in arkansas mm -hmm. what bikes in your garage right now doing the rocking the stump jumper and kind of a standard stump jumpy so do you enjoy it here yeah don't need the evo wanted the evo but don't really need it here i feel like that stump jumper that is just it's bread and butter for, for Arkansas. It gets it done. And then you can just go, I can go from trail system to trail system and just ride between them and mm -hmm. whether it's on road or dirt road or gravel or whatever, and that doesn't even matter. Yeah. I feel like that, that bike sits in your garage a lot more though lately than, uh, that Abel does. Uh, gravel's a gravel's kind of the new, uh, springtime thing for me for sure. And all winter, you know, you can ride. Yeah. It. yeah. Why though? Ah, oh, it's, it's exploration, and there's just so many good gravel routes and roads and places to go. So, like, if you're getting into gravel, like, are you are you calling a buddy or a shop to find a route to work off of, or are you just are you just one that likes to just hop on that bike and just say, oh, "I'll go get lost and find my way back"? Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, like there's a lot of forums out there and a lot of groups that you can find routes, and that's what people want to know is where can I find a route from town or where can I find a route that's like a good introductory loop or a lap or something that's not uh, putting you out in the elements. And then you use that to grow from? Yeah, then you just kind of start branching out. Find your group of riders, right? It's just like a mountain bike. When I first got into this, they just, my friends just dragged me, dragged me along. Yeah, but gravel has like, uh, you have the fast guys, you have the guys that want to go uh, deep, deep, deep out there and you got the different speeds. So you got to hook up with the, Gabby Adams and that crowd that does the non-drop rides that have beers during the middle of the ride and relax and do true gravel. I was going to say, what, from a gravel perspective, right, you've been, you've raced road and you've raced mountain and yeah. now you're, now you're sitting on a gravel bike. I know, I know you're not racing it, but. Yeah, you know, we, I, at one point in time, it was in my contract to race the Dirty Kanza and, and help my teammate do the Dirty Kanza. Um, and that was 12 years ago or 14, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. Well, that, that race is blown up. Yeah, definitely. And those were like the early years of, uh, gravel riding and yeah. glad, I'm glad to see, and that was always the basis for me is like whatever dirty Kansas, that was the intro. It's kind of a Midwestern, uh, it's, it's easily accessible from Colorado and a lot of the folks. So do you think like from previous conversations, you've said, the nastier, the better. Do you think if gravel was as big as gravel is now, that that would have been a niche you would have scratched when you were racing? Uh, I, was, I was thinking about that today uh, out of my ride. I was uh, wondering how many more gravel rides I would have done if I was in California. Because they have the Grasshopper Series out there. It's on year 25. Mm -hmm. 
and it's a compilation of uh, mountain bike races, road races, and, and gravel, the whole series is. And I would have, if, if I were in Northern California more, I would have certainly done every single one of the grasshoppers. That's yeah. awesome. It's just crazy how, how like these new, new branches of the sport are coming up, right? Like gravel is a prime I, example. Yeah, but also like cross-country mountain biking after mountain biking split, and you had the faction between gravity and kind of cross-country mountain biking um, with the way of enduro and trail, the cross-country kind of slipped off the way. So thankfully for NICA and a lot of other things now, cross-country riding or exploring is back, back and alive because it was, it was looking grim. It, it was. And, and I think, I mean, look at the pros in that category, right? I think, I think you talk icing on the cake. Kate Courtney is a prime example of working up through your, your systems, right? Yeah. You, you have someone like her on a team with Nino. You, you put those two together on the social aspects and the pull that they have. I, I mean, I, I see that sport coming back with vengeance. World domination and uh, Thomas Frischneck, Frischy used to race in the States. He was one of the first uh, Euros that came over to start racing over here. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, his son uh, won the event this year in Bentonville. So that was, that was cool to see generation two world cup cross country racing coming to Bentonville and, and watching that go down at the epic off-road this year. For sure. Yeah. Are you, have, have you been in it that long where you're now watching the kids of the people you raced against? Yeah, and thing with John, like Eli Tomac and, and all of every, even Weems, like uh, all of his sons now, like uh, Tinker, uh, he's got a son, Joshua, and they're all, everybody has sons that are kind of following their, their dad's footsteps. You, you must have had a dad then. I mean, maybe, maybe it wasn't your dad. Maybe, yeah, no, I, I was lucky because I had um, a bunch of guys in Winter Park that took me under their wings, um, and they raced for Schwinn at the time, the Wildermans, Wade and Todd, and um, then also the Diamondback team kind of took me around. So I was, I didn't even have a driver's license, and I was traveling around all the Norvas. How'd you get in with them? Uh, just riding the trails and just being out there, and they they just kind of picked me up under their wings and showed me what to do and how to eat and where to, how to put a spare tube. You had to, you used to have to race with tubes back then because there was no, you had whatever, 40, 45, 50 PSI. And when you get a flat, you would have to change your tube and you practice it. Like part of my training was, can I change a tube in a minute and a half? Can I change a rear in two minutes? And you would partially inflate your tube and wear it around back of your jersey. As you raced. Yeah, just in case you got your flat. That's awesome. And it's awesome to see people like that pick you up, you know, like they see this kid out there that's showing this talent, right? This want to be a part of this community and they're willing to, they're willing to take you in. I mean, you see it all the time at a downhill park. Oh, you do for sure. Yeah. It's great. Cause then uh, as a kid, you have somebody to look up to and you can watch and see what they're doing. And I probably asked way too many questions, but it was great because they literally showed me all about nutrition, all about recovery, and every little step. So my, my learning curve was like pivotal, like just to pick it up watching them. Yeah. Now, being the Colorado guy that you are, I know you race skiing too. Yeah. How do you um, think? Exactly the, the segue, most of us did ski race, um, including even like Floyd Landis, Tyler Hamilton. We all ski raced. And then um, cycling was what you did to be fit and, and in addition to kind of your training regimen. And then it, that was the way to kind of 
find something supplemental. And for me, I needed it. You couldn't just be one-sided. So a lot of us did the two sports for many, many years at high levels. Yeah, because both were at high levels, right? You were competing on, on uh, uh, both cross country and big mountain stuff for, for years in intermixed with, with biking. Like today's racers, I, I'm sure they have to sign contracts saying that they're not even allowed to go ski. Like yeah, they, they take the fun out of it because literally, uh, if you look at the training regimen now, what the guys are doing, and it happened when we were racing, we had to sign contracts, no kayaking, no rock climbing, no riding motorcycles, all those things. But uh, we, I started out with the X Games, and I was in the very first uh, X Games, uh, and I skied and I, I rode my bike. That's insane. Same with Sean Palmer. Sean Palmer came and uh, he did, he was the snowboarding machine. And actually he skied, he did three disciplines because he snowboarded, skied, and had the bike. That's insane. Yep. Do, you think, do you think the cross train on skis though, like I know what you were saying was you would use bikes as your cross training for skiing. And that was the mentality. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, do you think, vice versa do you think the skiing benefited your your biking abilities like what what translates across the board yeah a lot of it's like your balance coordination and then just your your general prep but for me it was just not burning out because i would always have different friends different groups and i wasn't so one-sided and you watch guys that came up like uh adam craig when he came into the scene he was do he was kayaking he was just doing whatever he wanted to do and then just kind of found the bike is okay. Came up through the Devo program, the developmental side of things. Same with Seth Morrison. Seth Morrison used to uh, race mountain bikes um, with me back in the day too. Yeah, now he lives a glorious life skiing uh, one of the coolest places to ski. Skis in his backyard and he's got freshies every day and he's still skiing if you see some of the stuff he puts up. I mean, you still see him on the mountain. Yeah, at speed, just. Uh, that's the only way to do it at that point, right? You're, you're, the, the lines that he's choosing are just like, all right, let me just go from here to here. And like, you look at it from a mountain bike perspective, like, oh man, a couple hundred feet of vert. Like these guys on skis are dropping thousands of feet of vert in mere seconds. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing, like the strength and conditioning that Seth does and the weightlifting and his, his plyometrics in that program, like he still does it to this day. And uh, guys like Richie Schley, Back in the beginning, um, were gravity guys as well, but they went more to the enduro, the free ride, and that type of thing, where you got guys like Seth that are just hardcore. He is in tune with his body. How'd you, how did you find your niche in racing then? Yeah, I, I luckily for me, I was racing. That We used to have these uh, fat bike races in the snow, and we would take two rims and weld them together, and then there, a guy in Alaska had started a company called Fatback, um, and he would actually make the rims and he would sew two rims together like the REA uh, R21s. So I was, and you'd glue with tubular glue, like one side of your tire because they'd spin so slow that they'd sear the valve stems. Wow. And uh, Gary ended up wanting to go to Leadville to do a nighttime mountain bike race. And that was one of the races that I was on fire at. And that was kind of the clincher for one of my, like, just standout seasons was like okay now I'm on the radar with Gary and he's built the World Cup team and that was kind of the next level right there so when he when he brought you brought you in right like 
what's the process of going from a self-supported racer, right? Like self-supported oh, yeah, yeah. and doing this to a team mentality. Like what's the changes? Well, like everyone that's a pioneer, you work hard and you have to support yourself. And you always look at the factory guys and you're, you, you always say, oh, I would win if I was on a factory or if I had mechanics, if I had all the, the different entities that those guys do, a soigneur, someone that you get massages every day, all those things. And it, it's true, like, because you just focus on racing. You literally, you, you get handed your bike at the start line, you got your mechanics dialing you in, and the only thing you really have to do is sipe your own tires. Dang. So it just allows you to bring that level that much higher because you take all the other worries out of it. Yeah, like you're, you literally, uh, all you're doing is your job, which is race day. So everything goes towards the prep towards race day. And come race day, you've got your team there and you're a moving cog in the team. But like, that's why I like mountain biking is you weren't like a road cyclist with 20 some other teammates. Come, come race day on a mountain bike, like any of your teammates or you, it's your race, no politics, like it's time trial and you just whoever's feeling good that day and whoever doesn't flat or whoever picks the good lines it's your day all the above now like from the american side of things talking tapping back into the foreign side yeah how once you did start traveling right cuz gary had you traveling across across the globe to race yeah what's it like to go from a small town colorado boy racing the local series to racing some of the most predominant European racers there is well it's crazy because you watch the guys that you race with in the states and you're in U.S. soil and then you go to these venues which are World Cup ski venues and you've you've seen them on TV in the winter or you've seen them for other events and you show up and uh, it's crazy the, the level of competition on European soil it's it's it blows what we have going on here uh, away uh, mainly because that's what folks like to do over there is that's it's it's cycling is just their pastime so no it's football no, no soccer that's their thing and uh, we mountain biking started here and that's like for me I was just in that right era right place right time but once we went over to Europe to race it was we started taking back seats sure but I feel like you were the rebel child right the, America has always taken that new rebel rebel different Right. Yeah, like we yeah. can't beat them with their own, with their own medicine. We have to come up with our own sort of cup of tea and beat them that way. Yeah. And you got to be able to just be flexible too. Right. So with it, I think uh, at that point in time, mountain biking had, they were all ski area courses. So we had kind of uh, fixed the format. And since I was from Colorado and had all the right um, adjustments to race at altitude, that's, that was the, what I did really well at over there. Yeah. No, that's that's crazy. What about what about throwing the twenty nine er into the mix? Oh, that was the best thing ever. That's what kind of kept things going for me. So we at the time um, the factory teams Trek was also owned by um, owned Gary Fisher race program at the team. Both teams kind of traveled together. So uh, Gary Fisher at the time kind of stepped down from managing and was working with the engineers and had Keith Bontrager making the hoops in his garage in Santa Cruz. So Keith and I would work on uh, 29 inch wheels. There were the first year, there were six tires for mountain bike treads. And that was kind of my race setup. 
there originally between Travis Brown and myself, we got to kind of pick a design, a platform and roll with it. And Travis went with the 69er, which was one 29 inch up front and then a 26 in the rear. And then I went with just the standard 29er and that was a success. That was a format. Never look back. Never look back. Was the first person to ever kind of race them. First person to kind of get a bunch of uh, years of UCI suspensions because the 29-inch wheel was illegal. So starting in 2000, uh, my 2000 World Cup season was pretty grim. Same with 2001. Uh, line up at a lot of the races and the commissaires would pull you because the 29-inch wheel was illegal. Dang. And now everyone rides it. 20 some years later, fast forward and it's a standard, but I knew, I knew it back then. Like you could just tell like the, something about that wheel. It was just easy to control. It was definitely, it was tank. Like all my friends used to say, what are you doing racing the wagon wheels? And, and for sure they were heavy, they were cumbersome, but uh, it was only a matter of time. But so you said like UCI will pull you out, right? But what type of backlash did you get from other racers? Like were, were other racers looking at you saying, uh, what are you doing not being the norm? Yeah, it was, it, I, like you said, it was definitely like a rebel type move. And especially with the way that the <clears throat> courses worked out and everybody wanted to, it was all about winning back then. And for me, it was making a statement more than anything. Yeah. And I mean, you were, you were backing it up with, with victories, you know, like, well, yes and no. Like, I, like the, I had to kind of move on to marathons and uh, endurance racing because it was it, we raced in the beginning. Our uh, cross country races were three hours. Yeah. So then the World Cups kind of went to like a two hour format when they were at the ski areas, uh, two and a half hours. And then my my sweet spot was like anything over four hours, really. Yeah, you were a marathon boy. Yeah, so luckily marathons, the, uh, they started having cross-country races on Saturday or marathons on Fridays or Sundays in the different villages. And some marathons would have like 10,000 people at it. So you'd get a race with all sorts of people and party in the streets and the towns and villages afterwards. Which is what it's all about right there, that's partying afterwards. Yeah, that's mountain biking. So yeah. yeah, World Cups hurt too much, but marathons, they, were, they only hurt for six hours and then you can party the rest of the night. <laughs> So what, out of all the racing formats at which you've participated in, right? And I think your bread and butter is the longer, the harder, the better, right? Like, yeah, that may be your cup of tea, but what's your, what's your favorite style of racing that you ever raced? I mean, I, like literally for me, the Kamikaze downhill was always my favorite event of the year. You'd, you'd just be two wheel drifting as fast as you can go. And you knew a lot of the guys wouldn't touch their brakes for the first like three corners and corner two when you're going in hot and, and it's chundery and chunky and just scree up on top of Mammoth Mountain. It's uh, it wakes you up quick. So I bet. It. Yeah, you we you get clocked at like I, I would go 50, 48 to 54 miles an hour is what they clock you at. And uh, one year I had a frame break on me. That's insane. Yeah. What like afterwards you talk like like you said, mountain bikers, we love to race as hard as we party, right? What group of mountain bikers from road to downhill kamikaze riders, which ones, if you had to choose one group, what, who are you partying with? Oh, the downhill guys. Like, like with Crank Brothers, I was uh, Andreas Hessler and I, he's from Canada. He's an Olympian from 
uh, Vancouver area, at Whistler area, and we literally were the two rebel cross-country guys hanging out with the Craig Brothers crew because they were, they were fun. They were the guys that uh, like to just let their hair down and just kind of ride as if someone told them to stop riding, they wouldn't stop until they were ready to stop. That's, that's uh, from the Crestview background that I have. It's the, the downhill scenes, a, a very interesting one. Yeah, they just have, they have a lot more fun, you know, especially like you, you travel to like venues like Mount Snow and you watch all the camping and everything that goes on. Like they used to have a naked crit there and I was, I wasn't the cross country guys. I was the downhill guys and gravity guys. All right. Changing, changing pace, just a hair from all of that. You are still racing, right? Luckily, uh, e-bikes started uh, a movement a couple of years ago. I, I guess I've been racing e-bikes for a while, but it was probably be year six, I think. Yeah. When I first started, the e-bikes had a, a backpack with the battery, and you'd plug it in, kind of like a big long camelback type cable down to the bike, so you'd be connected like a spaceman to your bike. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been racing uh, e-bikes, got 31st at Worlds this year, uh, Mount St. Anne. And then uh, this year, it's in Germany on uh, it's June 25th. Yeah, if we get to have it. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, I haven't, I don't have plane tickets or anything yet because it just doesn't, doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It's a bummer, man, to watch. Like, <laughs> we were so stoked sitting in the house, man. Enduro World Series was about to start up again. We yep. Following that, UCIs were just getting ready to rip and roll. Those, those people were already hanging out. We we're lucky that we had um, Rotorua. Well, for sure, but, but after Rotorua at all, like at least Crankworks went down, so at least we got one big, big McFinal, you know? Yeah, one. The one, the, the start of the year. How, how do you see this affecting, like, the schedules, you know? like well, it's Yeah, it's crazy because, like, the calendars get pushed back, and you look at the Grand Tours, you look at Tour de France in July, so if they start in July, whatever, typically it's the beginning of July, and they do – 28 I don't know 22 days but they're they're talking about six seven day tour grand tour that's and, insane and then literally you have the Vuelta which is in the fall and that's the only one that'll be able to happen so no, and, and maybe happen we don't we don't know the yeah. issue is, is we don't know we can plan for two weeks we can plan for six weeks but the unknown time period these things are stacking up on top of each other at this point yeah, but imagine being somebody like uh, America's New Hopefuls. Like we have uh, Leah Davidson, uh, Kate Courtney. We've got um, all the gals. They can't even really train that hard because if they train hard, your body just starts to just break down that extra little bit and before you build it up and you don't want to be susceptible. No, you definitely don't want to be. So, and like that's, I feel like that's almost as important for racing as peaking at the perfect time. Yeah, I mean, when do you peak now, and what do you peak for? Is it two weeks from now we're going to have our first event, or is it, it which it's not going to be? And that's got to mess with you, and you go from being in such, like, a mindset of I'm ready to race to, okay, rein it in. It's off-season time again. Yeah, well, imagine the guys that, and gals that went down to Cape Epic to race, because that stage race takes so much prep, and you got to show up there early. you got to pre-ride at least four of the stages um sections of those stages and those guys all got sent home they didn't get, even get a race cape epic this year well i mean what was the one uh 
it changed its name this year. What was the one in Oklahoma that, that still went down? That's uh, the last so, race I know of. Yeah, the Mid-South. And um, Bobby and his crew, they, they saw a big decline. Like over 1,000 racers didn't show up this year, but they still did it. And um, it got nicknamed the Mud South. Just horrible, nasty conditions. Hannah Finchamp, who won, got um, some hypothermia when she finished. So little little dose of uh, cold weather uh, spring racing here. What's it like racing in, under that? Like, well, I feel like there's only a certain amount of people, right, that will put themselves yeah. into that that situation. I feel like you're one of them. Oh yeah, no, for sure. You got um, and and if you you look at the folks that kind of the ski background correlates really well to racing in spring conditions or just the wet hypothermic ones, whether it's at altitude or just in bad weather. Yeah. So to, to race in those formats, you got to, I mean, you got to be prepared. You got to have the right layer systems, especially like technical wool socks down to your insoles need to be the right size. Like all that stuff kind of comes play because you're not changing your clothing when you're out there and yep. vision's impaired. Your mindset is just beyond twisted. So you got to reel it all in from the start and know what you want. And if you pack your podium clothes, cause you think you're going to get on the podium, then you better make sure that you're not just packing those podium clothes and dropping out. You better make sure you're going to use them. For sure. And I feel like that's part of it, right? You can prep as best as you possibly can. But the minute you, you step over that saddle at the start line, you have to forget everything but the task at hand. You got to go numb. You got to like go into the zone and you got to uh, just visit those deep, deep, deep places and just hang in there. And like, it's, kind of a sick space that's for sure yeah but i respect it man like talk about the top of the class in any sport across the board right like yeah i grew up i grew up not in the biking industry i grew up in in the regular four big soccer yeah soccer was my background and i i've watched baseball and basketball my entire life and those are those are team aspects right those are different right you can take a second you can have your buddy cover you up but biking like there's no pit stop you take a pit stop, man. There's your podium. I've been going through some photos and some um, archiving just because I've had some some good time. And um, you look at the gnarly races, the ones I remember as some of my favorites, and I can't find any, like, good composure face shots or anything because it's just pure suffering. But that's that's the best picture right there. <laughs> it's showing the truth, man. Like, it's it's – I love photos like that. The ones that came out of Mid-South with those guys just – Drive trains gone, running single speed pretty much. Oh, yeah. And just the terror on their face and the just pure drive. Cakes of mud, all of it, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, that's, that's the spirit for sure. And that's what, uh, if you're doing a challenge event like that, that's the ultimate. When you walk away from it and you're like, I, I did what I came here to do. Yeah, whereas someone like me, it's like, just finish. You finish or whatever your goal is, but yeah. All right, so now, now I'm, I'm lucky enough to have you here in Arkansas with me. Yeah. But Nat isn't from Arkansas. Nat's from Colorado and was a California boy for a while. Yeah. How is uh, Arkansas treating you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's rough at this point in time when we're all indoors. Because yeah. uh, I want to want to check out more of the natural state, and especially this time of year when stuff's starting to bloom. You mentioned the birds. It's cool to get out and uh, just check stuff out. The water, like maybe this is my year to go fish or kayak a little bit or mm -hmm. do something in the water a little bit more than paddleboard. So 
Yep. And the water down here is spectacular, especially once it gets hot. I, I know you're, you're gunning for those water holes. Into that for sure. Yeah. So I, I definitely, some of the rides I, that I'll cater myself to will be finding those spots to just completely immerse yourself in and just recharge and then jump back on the bike again. But before this all happened, right? Like you've lived in hot spots for this industry, right? Like those two, Colorado and, and California are bread and butter, right? Yeah. Like that, when you live there, this is what you do. You're yeah, an outdoor industry. Like that's why you and I connected is because we have all that in common of like this, that's what we do. And that's kind of the, the mentality. It's what you bleed, man. It's your culture. How, how are you seeing Bentonville? It, it fit into, into the realm of biking, right? You're here. You've been here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some, some good industries starting to ramp up here right now, too. So it's a great time to be into the cycling space. And for those folks that grew up here and then and they're sticking around, there's a reason. There's a huge reason. I mean, this place blew my mind. Yeah. It, it absolutely. Up, right? Absolutely. What? Bentonville? <laughs> you just look at like a topographic map and you're like, where? <laughs> what are we supposed to be doing? Yeah, it's funny because it's hard to get all of our friends from Colorado to come visit. So you got, Jordan, you got Jordan to come out here, and he's in, enjoying and digging it. But a lot of folks are still dragging their – they want to go to the same spots. They want to go to Moab. They want to go to Fruta. But yet, it's almost from, from say, a front-range position, it's not that far away, right? No, it's easy, and it's a it's an easy drive to do because it's just you can even break it up and ride some single track in uh, Kansas City or in that zone along the way. But then you get down here and you're overwhelmed. Too much, especially with the gravel. You throw in the gravel into the forte, and there's uh, so many new experiences for people out there. All I feel like all entities are growing, right? It's not like they're just here. They're not just planting a foot, but that foot's growing. Yeah, yeah. And I found like a cool running store, Rush Running. Those guys have great events. I haven't done any of them yet, but I just kind of watch their culture and what they have going on. So there's a lot of folks that know how to get outdoors here, know where to go and know how to uh, make it to the end of the day with a big smile on their face. Yeah. And accessibility, man. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's all here and it's, it's affordable too. I mean, how close are you to single track? That's great. So just ride down the alley and then hop on the single track. There you go. You get Kohler right in your backyard. Yeah. Good placement. Yeah. Kohler, the preserve itself is, uh, it's got a lot of folks that can enjoy that. So all the corners of Kohler, a lot of folks can just hop onto the trails right from their backyard. Yeah. So the last question I got for you. Yeah. Back focused on Bentonville, right? We're here because we're mountain bikers. That's why we're here. That's what we do. But mountain biking aside, and this can be a part of the answer, all right? It, it, it's such a big part of our lives that, that it's hard to not have it be part of the answer. But other than mountain biking, like what, what attracts you to this area? Why do you like living in Bentonville? What do you love about this area? Well, the, the community, it has a, a great sense of community. So if you go to the events that you and I are part of and you just uh, infiltrate and just have a couple conversations, the answer's there. So the, the cultural piece of folks that know how to just relax and don't take themselves too seriously, but are healthy or they're healthy plus active um, and they're into playing outdoors. So all those elements exist here and it's not one of those pieces that's um, kind of fabricated. It's just natural. 
For sure. And it's, and it's, they're accepting the growth, right? Like, yeah, which is great. Cause you get uh, a lot of folks that uh, monkey wrench and just environmentalists and so many other statements that you and I are used to and accustomed to are different user groups with friction. And here it's folks just want to go outside and enjoy the outdoors or get on their local trails or go to the river or whatever. That's exactly it. And they so appreciate it, right? Like, they don't fight. It's crazy how much it takes to build one single track trail anywhere else. Yeah. And, and here how it's much time, like some of the, some of the time, like the trails that you built and the, the way that you're moving around, just building the trails, like that just doesn't happen a lot of places. Yeah. I feel like the amount of miles I've built in the last two months is about the amount that Crested Butte gets in, in a five year span. If that, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, in the grand scheme of all of this, since we're doing this over over a Skype call instead of uh, a tailgate, like what do you what do you say? Like, what's your recommendations to the area? Like, how do we get this so we can do this together? Yeah, I think that the best part is for folks once this thing clears and once that everybody's ready to get outside again, that. Folks just need to find a spot that means something to them and embrace it, whether that means kind of adopting it or whether it means just messaging. Little things like today I saw a big pile of uh, tires that someone had drug out of the woods and kind of just cleaned up a little bit or they're, they're taking time to kind of a little stewardship or even education, whatnot. So um, not that you need to be a police person out there and, and whatnot, but just if you're proud of it and you like to use it and just uh, give back a little bit because now's the time. And I think especially just our culture and society, it's starting to hit home to a lot of folks. Like if you were selfish a month ago or two months ago, folks are starting to like embrace or uh, be part of family units once again and, and take care of what's really important. I agree. And how do you, how do you recommend, like what are you doing to social distance yourself? Yeah, it's hard, man. That's, that's the most difficult piece for me. So I'm literally just, hunkering down and locking in and like I'm I'm not able to ride with my friends the way I want to and you and I aren't even like cracking our uh, second beer together right now because we're doing this virtually the way we should be and the way we always do is is it's made me appreciate it's made me appreciate man like it's made me appreciate this sport because it's tying you into your roots right like it's tying you in if all you liked was the socialization factor of this, would you be riding your bike right now? Oh, it's I great, know. dude. I saw two new guys today that were out on the trails, and I know they're new because they didn't have helmets on. And they oh, were don't out. Don't get there. me started. Yep. I didn't say anything. It was all I could do to not say anything. But they're out there, so they're, they, they're on bikes. It's. I feel the same way about friends right now and socialization that I do sports I never thought I'd have to live without it yeah ever why would you why would you ever think about living without friends especially in this day and age like like you and I moved here not too far apart from each other and it's like instant just like the same interests the same groups the same themes yep and yet stuff like this takes it away and it makes you appreciate it don't get me wrong the minute sports comes back, I will, I don't care what it is. Put curling on the TV. I will watch it right now. You'll be cheering and uh, yelling at the TV. But I, I mean, I'll just be excited to watch. I, I love that. I love sports for that, that camaraderie and the, and the teamwork to make the dream come true. 
But it's the same for friends. I miss, I miss just being able to give somebody a high five. Yeah, I mean, things will change now. Like, we'll be bumping elbows or <laughs> who knows what we're going to be doing down the future. Yeah, it's just important right now to just keep separation, keep doing your thing, maybe go out on an odd time or go to a new section of trail you've never gone to and get out and continue to immerse yourself into nature, but just remotely. Yeah, and explore with your, your unit, whatever your unit is, whether it's your friend or your wife or for yeah. you, it's like you've got three in your family, so you guys can roll around as a unit and I'm lucky. Out new stuff. I feel for those individuals that are living in a place by themselves right now. Ooh, man, that'd be, that'd be so rough to be cooped up. But thank the Lord for technology. It allows us to get on a call like this and catch up. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate your time, buddy. Cheers. Soon, soon we'll be riding single track again. Oh, I cannot wait. I bet. Well, be safe. Give, give Amy my love and, uh, you know, keep trucking along until we can get together again. I'll be shifting outdoors, Taylor. Cheers to that. All right. This has been a broadcast of the NWA Dirt Report, keeping you up to date on biking in Northwest Arkansas. This episode was brought to you by Shift Outdoors. I am your host, Taylor Young. Thank you for listening. Now, get out and ride. And when you do, let us know your favorite moments on the bike. Good day, bikers.